3: At the Mets, it's anywhere team, plus 110 and plus 120, and with Jose Erdekiti, his home and road splits I think are very critical. He's posting up nearly a 6 ERA on the road, a sub-3 ERA at home. Not a guy that is going to go out there and give you a bunch of strikeouts or anything like that, but he's done a great job with command, not just this year, but throughout his career. A little bit over two walks per nine innings thus far. That is certainly going to be able to hold down the fort has been a little bit unlucky with the deep ball overall this season. He's given up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. And ironically enough, he's given up thus far this season at 61 innings, 12 home runs, and 12 walks. But he's also backed up by a remarkable bullpen, which is why you've been seeing this high under eight with the Houston Astros. For the Astros this season, they have played 44 unders, 21 overs, and a push depending upon your closing numbers. So It has been very fascinating to take a look at them, but this is an Astros team that, in terms of bullpen ERA, it is number one in the big leagues in terms of best ERA. Rafael Montero has been able to give you a two ERA. Ryan Stanek has a sub-one ERA. Ryan Presley has more like a 250, but he's been one of the best closers in the big leagues over the last few years. I think that he wound up having a 41 straight appearance streak in which he did not wind up allowing a single run, so he's been relatively trustworthy, and for the Mets, The bullpen isn't quite that of the Houston Astros, but it's a top 12 bullpen in terms of bullpen ERA. You've had guys like Drew Smith be able to step up for this team. You need to get a little bit more out of guys like Adam Montavino and company, but he wound up getting used up yesterday in that win against Miami Marlins, so you don't need to worry about that. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Trevor Williams. He's been able to do a better job when he has been in a relief role rather than when he's been as a starter, but that said, he's been able to do a nice job. Being able to have a little bit of command, he does wind up having a little bit worse of an ERA whenever he's on the road rather than when he's been at home. But by and large, has been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to just deliver right around four or five innings. And that is something to watch with Trevor Williams because he has been utilized out of the bullpen seven times. He's been a starter five times. As a result, he's sort of been pinballing back and forth as to, whether or not he's gonna be a starter, whether he's gonna be a bullpen guy, which is why he's not fully stretched out. So I'd be surprised to really see him go north of five innings. And this is a Mets team that they actually do lead the big leagues in terms of batting average and on base percentage. Pete Alonso last season, he wound up leading the big leagues in terms of home runs hit on the road. He's currently towards the top of the National League with his 19 home runs thus far this season. Eduardo Escobar has really been the most dead bat on the normal starting, I guess you call it lineup. He actually wound up hitting for a cycle about two weeks ago against the San Diego Padres. You've had Starling Marte do a solid job of being able to reach base for this team. So got a lot of bats that have been able to do a solid job. And for the Houston Astros, you still have Jose Altuve sitting right around 275 double-digit amount of homers. It's been a remarkable year for on Alvarez. 19 home runs. He's sitting above a 300 as well. So I do think that you are going to see both of these guys find a giving up a little bit, but both of these bullpens have been relatively solid. I think that the 9 is a little bit too high here, so I think we're going to see yet another Astros underhand with the Astros with the way that Urikidi has been able to pitch at home. I'm willing to lay it with them. I'm actually willing to lay up to a minus 145 with the Houston Astros. And coming up next, we're going to turn our attention a little bit to the hardwood as the NBA draft is going to be coming up within the next few days, and Scott Reichel does a great job with the NBA Gambling Podcast over there at the Sports bay. Sports Gambling Podcast Network. He's going to be joining me next right here on VSIN Sports Betting Network.
0: This is the look ahead on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
3: Cold Art Cash, join in on the pitch with the Heineken 2020 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete for 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head on over to DraftKings.com Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken beer made better 21 years or older to be able to participate. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions do apply See for details, and as always, please do drink responsibly, as it is a Lookout with myself, Greg Peterson, and great to be joined by our guests, as Scott Reichel does a great job over there at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. He does the NBA Gambling Podcast for them, and you're able to follow him on Twitter, at Reichel Radio. And, Scott, great to have you aboard tonight. Thank you.
1: Yep, thanks for having me. It's nice to be back.
3: It is good to have you aboard, and unfortunately, we are not going to be able to take a look forward to any games for quite a while with regards to the NBA or college basketball for that instance as well. We saw the WNBA, fortunately, Daniel Avari does a great job with that. But with that said, we do have the NBA draft that's coming up this weekend. When it comes to being able to take a look at the NBA draft, what are just a few pointers to anyone that's looking to dive into it this season and maybe they haven't done in the past? What would you just tell them? Because I think that more important than just looking at things like a whole bunch of game tape and trying to memorize every single stat that a guy winds up having and trying to spit that out, I think that it's much easier than winding up doing like 100 hours of scouting.
1: Well, especially considering the fact that everybody in the NBA draft is significantly younger because a lot of people either go one and done nowadays or go straight from the G League now. So you're looking at a spot where most teams tend to draft on potential nowadays, but I do believe that the most important advice I would give, keep an eye on where you get your information because there's a lot of information out there And you're not exactly sure how much of it is reliable, because I'm sure you've heard a lot of terms in the NFL draft regarding smoke screens, and you're not exactly sure of what's true, what's a false rumor, and everything like that. I know, for example, Boncaro picked up a ton of line movement today to be the first overall pick. I'm not sure how reliable that is, but there's a lot of steam. You're going to see that more frequently as the draft gets closer. My main advice, the one thing that people cannot really lie about, is which prospects have actual workouts with which team. You can't guarantee how the workout's going to go, but the fact that prospects are being scouted and they can be confirmed to be in the building and that they have actual teams looking at them, I do think you can pick up some value if you are able to find some prices and maybe read between the lines on if they like a prospect to bring them back for several workouts, etc. So when it comes to trying to find information that's reliable, I tend to rely mostly on which teams are actually working out which players and how often they work out for that specific team.
3: Yep, I'm right there with you. I do think that that's some very good advice as well. And something that I want up diving into a little bit as well is taking a look at what we wound up getting a few weeks ago at the NBA Draft Combine as well. And you'll notice that some guys wound up getting invitations and they wound up turning them down. And I think that this is big with regards to odds for a guy to be able to go in the first round. Like I take a look at Caleb Houston. I'm right now seeing him at a plus 380 at DraftKings. I thought that it was very curious that he wound up skipping the Combine even though a lot of people have them as sort of that late first, early second, mostly second-round pick, which is why you're finding them at a plus 380. And typically, when you do wind up seeing a guy wind up skipping the combine, that means that some team has given him a guarantee. Now, what sort of a promise or guarantee? We don't know, but I always think that these sorts of ordeals are very interesting as well.
1: They really are, but once again, you kind of see that on occasion. It's not that often. So you kind of have to read between the lines. As you said before, it means that maybe he has one specific team in mind. Maybe he knows for a fact that his agents worked out an automatic workout with a given team, maybe in the first round, maybe in the early second round. But for whatever reasons, uh, Caleb using decided to just forego the combine. Maybe he was nursing an injury and he was afraid that it was going to reflect poorly on his performance and his draft stock. So sometimes the agents and the players plan things out five steps ahead and an injury could be another reason why I decided to skip the combine.
3: Yep, I think that that's interesting to take a look at it. What else has been fascinating as well with this draft is some of the risers that we've been able to see as well, because there were some guys that I was trying to handicap forward for the upcoming college basketball season, because I personally do a little bit more college than the NBA, and I was thinking, oh, we're probably going to see Dalen Terry back for Arizona, Jake LaRavia for Wake Forest, and they wound up playing their way most likely into the first round. Both of these guys. Very high odds of going in the first round. Loravia minus $7 and Dalantieri Terry t- 2000 So clearly these guys are probably going to be going that high. Or have been a few guys that have really been catching your attention as regards to guys that they've just been rising up the board in general.
1: Well, I tend to gravitate more towards the G League guys because a lot of people don't exactly have film on them and recent film. And he was projected to go in the top half for the majority of the actual process. But I'm keeping an eye on Dyson Daniels, who could potentially go top five. Of course, he was at the G League and he was performing very well. And based on the actual workouts he had leading up to the draft process, it seems like he's been moving up a lot of boards. And one prop I'm actually looking at for him, it involves the Sacramento Kings. And we know that with the way that that franchise is run, uh, you can expect the unexpected. Let's put it that way. But for example, for Dyson Daniels to go fourth overall, I see 28 to one. And of course, I'm not saying that it's going to be a foregone conclusion that's going to happen, but when the Kings already have the Aaron Fox for some reason, when they probably should have traded him, they traded for Sabonis, and they really don't have many guys at the actual forward position, or even the shooting guard position, because they traded Buddy Heald, Davion Mitchell is kind of a backup point guard now. If you want to look at some late risers who who are gaining some steam, Daniels did work out with the Kings. So if you want to talk about a G League guy that might be able to get you a big payout, Ivy, of course, is the main person that's linked to the Kings right now, which means that the Kings are tempted to take some type of wing. But Daniels can play small forward, shooting guard, and he could ball handle, and he's a pretty solid defender. And I do think that he might fit the mold that Mike Brown is trying to actually gain with that team because of his defensive-minded nature. So if you want to talk about a late riser who could potentially find his way in the top five, I believe his prop right now is at 7.5 for the over-under. I think Dyson Daniels might have a shot to go fourth at 28-to-1. And how much do you wind up taking
3: a look at just the position a guy plays himself with regards to the NBA draft? Because I think that it's much less critical in the NBA draft rather than the NFL draft where you'll just see teams, they wind up reaching for quarterbacks whenever it's a quarterback-rich market. You'll have a bunch of teams that they wind up rising up. And a guy that might be outside the top 30 with regards to like Todd McShay, Mel Kuipers, Big Board, they wind up going in the top 10 just because they're a quarterback. I feel like in the NBA draft, You don't need to wind up taking as much of a look at that and rather just take a look at the best player on the board in general.
1: I think that's true with one caveat there. I do believe that the value of centers has decreased over the last couple of years, especially centers who are not exactly adept at shooting three-pointers. We saw Duran, I'd say, occasionally dabble with three-pointers. Same thing with Williams. They're mostly interior guys, and one prop I am looking at is Duran over 10.5 at around minus 130, because I'm looking at the top 10, and I'm trying to find out which of the potential landing spots there are. And if you want to count Holmgren as a center, if you want to count Boncaro as a forward, the point is they're going in the top three in any order. And you go down the line, I don't see many good landing spots for the centers. Now, San Antonio at nine is, is a potential option, with uh, Pertle being on the last year of his current deal. But besides that, if you're going to give me basically one team in the top 10, that might be tempted to take a center as a position of need. I think ten and a half is too low of a number. Yeah. I do
3: think that that's interesting to be able to take a look at, because to your point, if you're a little bit of a big man and you're able to have versatility, like Chet Holmgren, for instance, there are a lot of people that love Chet Holmgren, a center that doesn't wind up shooting threes, really can't go beyond the free throw line. That's something that is a little bit of an issue in this day and age in the NBA. And when it comes to just guys in general that you're gauging, I take a look at one intriguing guy in Pat Baldwin Jr. Right now, his odds to be able to go in the first round, that is at a plus 150. And for anyone that winds up taking a look at like recruiting, things like this, this guy was a top five recruit in the class of 2021, goes to UW-Milwaukee, gets hurt, plays for his father, shoots 27% from three-point range in the Horizon League. This guy's stock has been the equivalent of the basketball version of Enron and. I think that it's very, very appropriate that it's at a plus 150. He has completely slid down the board. I don't even think that there's value at plus 150. Is there someone that stands out to you just like it does for me, for Pat Baldwin Jr., that they just have completely slid down the board and
1: you just see no value in them? Well, when it comes to the overall players that have been pretty high up there, I'm not going to say he's going to fall off of the first round or anything like that, but I do think that Matherin's a bit overvalued. If you want to talk about some guys that could potentially slide, potentially out of the top 10, Matherin was a very solid prospect at Arizona. But there's a lot of very talented wings and some that can actually play a little bit of a hybrid shooting guard with a small forward attachment there. Out of the first round, of course, it's not going to be the case. But if you want to talk about some people that are potentially falling, I feel like people are just penciling Matherin in to be a guaranteed top five, top six pick because his prop right now is at six and a half. I don't really see it. There's some, I'd say, steam of him going to Detroit. But once again, there's a ton of wings and a lot of competition. And if there are some players that might work out better than Matherin did, I do think he could potentially slide. Now, once again, you're talking about guys who might fall out of the first round. I agree with you. I think Baldwin Jr. will not go in the first round. But when it comes to people that I've been noticing that people might have been cooling off on or that the steam might have been a little bit too hot with to begin with, I think Matherin's automatically being penciled in as being this top five guy. And I think there's a chance he could potentially find himself towards either the back half of the top 10 or even out of the top 10.
3: Yep, I'm right there with you. Matherin currently is over under at six half And Scott, it was great to be able to get you aboard tonight. And NBA draft is going to be fun and it was great to have you aboard. Thank you.
0: VSN, the Sports Betting Network.
3: It is a look at right here on Vsin, the Sports Betting Network. Great to be able to get Scott Rice Shell on to be able to talk a little bit about the NBA draft. That is coming up very, very quickly, by the way, because you wind up having the NBA season end with the cutting down of the Nets by the Golden State Warriors and being able to win the title. And I think that they want to just having their parade on Monday and All of a sudden, the NBA draft is up on the 23rd. So no shortage of things going on there. And then you wind up having summer league, which is always fun out here in lovely Las Vegas. I've attended a few times, actually a very good value for the buck as well. And something that you're able to bet on as well. I've never really gotten into betting on it because you're pretty much trying to handicap those teams on the fly. But that said, always a lot of fun there. And before we know it, we're going to be back into the NBA season and it's going to be, I think, a very good one for 2022-23. But with that said, something that's going on right now, something that we know we're going to be having for the next few months, that would be Major League Baseball. So how about if we wind up taking a look at what we've all got on tap for Tuesday and in the final segment, if you want to miss it. And our number two, I'm going to give you guys my DK Nation pick. 7-1 and one in the last eight, so we're going to be looking to extend that. And we're going to be looking to this game for a little bit of value. 9-11, as it is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're going to be on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. Sean is going to be going for the Padres, and Zach Allen on the bump for Arizona. This is another one of those games in which there was a little bit of mystery around it as to what we were going to be getting with regards to starting pitching, which is why currently only Circa is a book with a line on this one. If you don't wind up having a line available to you right now, that should be coming up. I would say for a lot of books, right around 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. Eastern, but currently finding a total of seven over and under, both at minus 110. Padres, they're minus 120, and a plus 110 is your price on the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I needed more like a plus 120 ish to be able to take a shot on the Diamondbacks. Minus 120 is about the max that I'd be willing to lay with San Diego, but I'm willing to lay it. This is one of those things in which it's like, which one do you like a little bit more? The fact that Zach Allen has given up two earned runs or fewer in all but two of his starts thus far this season, or he's given up at least two runs in each out of his last five appearances. It's one of those things in which you can make the sad say one thing or another. One makes it say, oh, recent form has not necessarily been so great. The other one says, oh, he's been relatively solid this year. And I think that's somewhere in the middle, Zach Galen, and certainly Cooled off a little bit, but with that said, he's been able to have a relatively solid season. Strikeout numbers are a little bit down. He's been getting right around eight punch-outs per nine innings, but what has really been good about Zach Gallen this year, and the reason why he's been able to give a lot more length for this Arizona Diamondback team, has been the fact that he's been able to cut down on the walks, right around 2.2 walks per nine innings, so he's been relatively solid there. Now, the risk that you always run with Zach Gallen is that unless if he winds up pitching a complete game, that means that you will run yourself the risk of having to trust in the bullpen of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Arizona Diamondbacks has been one of the poopiest bullpens out there. They are number 22 in regards to ERA at a 429. Joe Manatipoli has been terrific, but got a lot of guys that may have been a little bit less than trustworthy for the team this season. Someone like a Caleb Smith has not been able to go out there and has been able to give the team really too much of anything to be excited about, so... And it's a little bit of an issue for this bunch. And then you do take a look at the flip flip side for the San Diego Padres. It's been an okay bullpen. It hasn't been terrific. It hasn't been terrible. Taylor Rogers has come in. He's been able to give you right around 20 saves thus far this season. And when it comes to Sean Manea, I know that I was speaking to Alex Fass of Pitcher List for the Baseball Betting Show podcast I wind up doing over here at VEASAN. And I thought it was very interesting what he pointed out. And going back at it, he is so right. with Sean Manea, his velocity has sort of been going a little bit all over the place, which is why his performances thus far have been uneven. As a matter of fact, he's actually got a little bit of a worse homey area than a roadie area, which you wouldn't expect because San Diego, very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but that has sort of been what he has been doing this season. But you do take a look at the San Diego Padres team and Manny Machado being out of the fold hurts. Now, he's not officially been placed on the injured list. He's officially day-to-day, but if you wind up seeing the tumble that he wanted up taking out there in Colorado... That does wind up hurting them a little bit. Now with the San Diego Padres as well. They want to play in game number one without him on Monday. They were able to get the job done four to one. Now, those four runs wound up coming on four hits. So that's eh, a little bit of an issue right there. But still, they did wind up looking a little bit better. And when it comes to Padres, they were getting him a little bit more help before he wanted going out of the fold. So you still have some capable bats out there. Like Eric Cosmer is hitting at 280, Jerkson Profar, Jake Cronenworth, Jose Azucar, these guys are in between about a 245 to a, even as high as a 260 in the case of Cronenworth, who's been able to hit four home runs over the last 16 days for the Seaman. For Arizona, taking a look at their offense. It's actually been very good on the road. They are in the top three in the big leagues in terms of home runs per game in road games. You've got Christian Walker who's been able to go deep 18 times thus far this season. Then you've got a couple guys that have been able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to get on base. Alec Thomas is hitting at 275. Dalton Varsho, Josh Ross. These guys have been relatively solid. And Buddy Kennedy wound up hitting a Grand Slam, his first career home run on Sunday on Father's Day, actually with his father in attendance. That was a very good moment, but with the Diamondbacks, they have been having a tough time being able to get on base. They're in the bottom six of the big leagues in terms of batting average. They have been able to supply that little bit of pop, though. Even a guy like a Jordan Luplo is able to give you a home run every about 14 or so at bat. So I do think that that makes it an interesting handicap when it comes to the total. I wound up saying my net at a 6.9 just because with Arizona... They've been able to do a good job of being able to get their home runs on the road. But at the same time, now they're in a very pitcher friendly ballpark. I do think that that's going to be hurting them a little bit. And with the Padres, just with not having out there Manny Machado, that does wind up affecting their offense quite a bit. But I do think that Zach Allen's starting to see a little bit of regression. I do think that Sean Maneo, the way that he's been able to come out the last few times, should be able to give you a little bit of confidence as well. So this is a situation where I take a look at the official or the initial line of seven that we're seeing at Circa. I like it under and uh, with the Padres. Them at a minus 120, I'd be willing to lay that number as well. Would be willing to lay up to a minus 122. And another game out there in the National League, that catches my eye. How about if we wanted going with 905-906? Chicago Cubs, they're going to be on the road. They're going to be facing up against the Pittsburgh Pirates as Ronci Contreras is going to be getting the start for Pittsburgh. And you've got Matthew Schwarmer, who is going to be getting the start for the Cubs. The Cubs opened up right around a plus 110 underdog. This is shot up by as much as 30 cents in some spots. The Pirates, you're finding them anywhere between about a minus 142 to a minus 152. And with the Cubs, you're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 130 to a plus 140. throughout this game, it opened up at 8.5. We're seeing a smattering of 8.5s and 9s. So you want to be shopping around accordingly. If you like the over, you probably want an 8.5. If you like the under, you probably want a 9. But I feel like this has been too much of a line move. The Pirates at DraftKings opened up right around about a minus 130-ish and this has just been steamed to high noon at this point. Ron Contreras has been able to do a relatively solid job for the Chicago Cubs team. He's providing right around a 3-4-ish ERA and at home he has been darn near unhittable. And for Mr. Swarmer, you may recall he was the pitcher that wound up going up against the New York Yankees and wound up allowing six solo home runs in five innings. So that was not too terrific. Good news is his rate of over four home runs per nine innings, I anticipate it going down. And he's got some good swing and miss stuff. He's been able to get a little bit over eight strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, in the deep balls, they wanted giving up. against the Yankees not too terrific. But, well, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't have the same bats that the New York Yankees do. So that should be able to help him out a little bit. He's just been a victim of. Having to face off against some really good teams to begin his career, and I do think that there's going to be some positive progression. We were talking about this in our number two with our guest Jason Weingarten. He's got a little bit of a position on Aniel Cruz to be a win rookie of the year, and he wound up making his major league debut on Monday, and he wound up getting four RBI, which is terrific. But I also think that it's a big reason why we wound up seeing this big giant steam move on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Let me put it to you this simply: How many times do we wind up seeing the Pittsburgh Pirates as right around a minus 150 favorite and this is not the Andrew McCutcheon-led Pittsburgh Pirates that were actually making the Pirates in like 2016 so we're going to take that out of it as well not very often and with the Cubs you have guys that are able to get on base Wilson Contreras Patrick Wisdom both of these guys would be able to hit for 12 home runs Wisdom has been striking out in like 43% of his at-bats he's he's on base to strike out 200 times a season it's not great there, but Wilson Contreras, Right around at 375 on base. Rafael Ortega has been able to keep the line moving with a 350 on base. Bottom of the lineup, guys like Alfonso Rivas, Jason Hayward. These guys have been relatively brutal, but you still do have a few other guys that are able to get on base, like even a Nico Horner. So, these guys have been able to do a solid job of being able to give you some good contact, being able to keep the line moving. Christopher Morrell, since he got called up from the minor leagues, has been good. And both of these bullpens, not necessarily trustworthy. For the Cubs, it has really worked hard hard on them. Guys like Scott Eifres along with along with Rowan Wick, who wanted to begin the season relatively solid. These guys have regressed in a big way, and for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I mean, it's a very interesting set here. All but five of their wins have come out of the bullpen this year, and currently, in terms of bullpen ERA, they are ranked 18th with a 4 one ERA, so that has been something that's been very fascinating to take a look at, but, I mean, really, none of these bullpens have necessarily been too trustworthy. David Bernard has been able to do a solid job, but Anthony Banda, along with Chris Tranton, they both have North of a five ERA, Heath Emory has been absolutely terrible for the team as well. So I do think that now that we've got north of a plus 130 on the Chicago Cubs, you all of a sudden have a little bit of value on them. On the opening number of more like a minus 130 with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I would have been willing to lay it now that we're getting up north of the minus 150. I think that the value has dried out, and I did wind up setting my toilet at 8.6. So at an 8.5, I still think that there's value on the over. You're starting to get that 9, though. Now you'd be starting to take a look at an under, and in the final segment here on the look at, I'm going to be taking a look at my DK Nation pick for Tuesday, and just given what I like in general on the board for this Tuesday, that is coming up next right here on VSEN, the Sports Bank Network.
0: This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network.
3: The VSIN summer special is here for just $19. You get everything VSIN has to offer from now until the end of July. Sign up today and you'll be able to get VSIN's daily best bets, including Adam Burks out there on the MOB circuit, including. A little bit of NFL preseason coverage with this as well. Premium articles are coming out for golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. And if you want the full v experience, which includes daily best bet emails, every single edition, a point spread weekly, our betting tools, including the betting splits that we wind up having, and live video streaming. The cost is just $19 to be a subscriber now through July 31st. You're able to sign up now at v slash summer, as it is the final segment of The Lookout with myself, Greg Peterson. If you're listening to me live, well, congratulations. You get another three hours of Greg Peterson. I don't know whether to say you're welcome or to say I am sorry. But with that said, you do have another three hours of myself. And if you're listening to a replay at 4 a.m. Pacific time, 7 a.m. Eastern, it's going to be follow the money. We've got you guys covered there. The guys always deliver a great show. I'm sure that they are going to be having a lot of coverage with regards to what we want to seeing in game three of the Stanley Cup final with the Tampa Bay Lightning being able to get their first win of the series and what I'm hoping is going to be a six to seven game series I think that this is when it's all said and done going to be a very good one I think that the Lightning wind up showing some great fight there but with that said what we do have for Tuesday because game four that is going to be coming up on Wednesday but for Tuesday we've got a little bit of a look at the diamond because I wind up doing a DK Nation pick every day with regards to Major League Baseball and we're going to look to extend our streak to five in a row here as we wind up going with the Toronto Blue Jays and the Chicago White Sox for this one. This is game number 919, 920 on the betting board. It is going to be Kevin Gosman, who's going to be going for the Toronto Blue Jays, and Dylan Cease, who's on the bump for the White Sox total on this game. At most places, it is an eight and a half with the juice on the over. Right now, where I'm sitting, circa, it is really the only nine that I'm seeing on the board, and with the Toronto Blue Jays to we find them anywhere between about a minus 125 to a minus 130 favorite with the Chicago White Sox settling in right around about a plus 115 and a lot of spots. And this is a circumstance in which I want writing up the total. I want to making my total barely above a seven, right around 7.2, 7.3. So I'm going to be taking a look at an under here with regards to my write up. And the big reason why is because Kevin Gosman has been a little bit of a victim of bad luck thus far this season. You take a look at his fielding independent number. It is a buck 75. That is nearly 1.5 points lower than his ERA of a 321. Just all the balls hit in play have just really gone against him this season. He's only given up two home runs in 73 innings. His walks per nine rate is a 1.4, so he has done a nice job of holding down the fort. Now, the trepidation that you have with taking the under is that both of these teams are in the bottom half of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. It has not been a good goal of it for either of these teams, the Toronto Blue Jays. They've been making a couple of changes with regards to their bullpen, bringing in someone like a Matt Gage to be able to help them out, but they have been able to get Jordan Romano going a little bit more, and then you do take a look at the flip side with the Chicago White Sox. Liam Hendricks being out of the fold, that has been hurting them a little bit, but you still have Kendall Grayman. He did wind up getting used up yesterday, but I do think that he could be able to come back with the amount of pitches that he wanted throwing yesterday, so and should be able to help them out a little bit. You need a little bit more consistency out of guys like Matt Foster and company, but what also works to the advantage of Kevin Gosman is a right-handed pitcher. And the Chicago White Sox have some of the most interesting splits when it comes to righties versus lefties. As this is a bunch that, against right-handed pitching, they're hitting a 238 with 36 home runs. The right-handed hitting batting average, that is 22nd in the league. The home runs, that is tied for 27th, meanwhile, against lefties. In terms of home runs, on a per-at-bat basis, they are number one in Major League Baseball, and they are also number one, hitting nearly a 300 against lefties, which is just absolutely stark. And then you take a look at the flip side for Dylan sees. He currently leads qualified American League starters in terms of strikeouts per nine rate at a 12.8, and he has been entirely unlucky with his defense. He has allowed 10 runs in his last four starts. All 10 have been unearned. Now, this leads to an underlying issue in that the Chicago White Sox, they're managed by a man that is, I swear, 575 years old, and, well... He doesn't have any idea what he's doing whatsoever with his team, so they're not very disciplined, but with that said, Dylan Cease a little bit unlucky. I think that we're going to see some positive progression with him as well, and, and Dylan Cease overall he's given up two earned runs or fewer in 10 out of his 13 starts thus far this season. He's done a nice job of being able to hold down the fourth So I do think that he's going to be able to do a nice job here, and with regards to this Blue Jays offense, it certainly has been able to get going a little bit more. But I do think that there's going to be a little bit of negative regression ever since they wound up having that bad start to the year where they just could not hit with men in scoring position. At this time, 30 days ago, they were dead last with regards to batting average with men in scoring position. They've been darn near number one ever since then. I think that it's going to iron out a little bit more. And I do think that Kevin Gosman is going to go into Chicago. He's going to be able to lend a relatively solid start. And I do think that LNC is going to be able to hold down the fort as well, 8.5 is a total that I'm going to be looking at the under on. I do think that Kevin Gosman is going to have one of his better performances of the season. This is a situation where I was willing to lay up to a minus 135 with the Toronto Blue Jays. So getting them right around a minus 125 to a minus 130, I'll take the Toronto Blue Jays to be able to win a relatively close game. And for the DK Nation write-up, it is going to be on the under. Another game that I really haven't hit thus far, and this is going to be, I believe, the earliest game that we're going to be seeing on Tuesday. That would be the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds. In the words of Bill Belichick, we are on a Cincinnati S. Yes. Tyler Molly is going to be going for the Reds. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers. This is at the top of the betting board, 901, 902, and with the Dodgers, you're finding them anywhere between a minus 185 to a minus 190 favorite, and anywhere between about a plus 160 to a plus 175 is your price on the Reds with a total of 9.5 with that under and the over, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, so shop around on the juice there. But I know that Jason Weingarten who does a great job with the World of Weingarten podcast with this network. And he joined me in our number two ERA fired on this one. And I'm with him on Tony Gonsolin being an absolute stud for the team. He's got a sub-two ERA, and he really wasn't able to lend a lot of length. The first few seasons of which he wanted getting called up to the big leagues, Six plus innings in each out of his last five starts. That is the cheat code for a Dodgers team that they've been dealing with some ailments in terms of their rotation. Walker Bueller is on the injured list. They just wanted to get and Kershaw off of the injured list. But, I mean, he hasn't necessarily been doing such a terrific job this season. Meanwhile, you take a look at Gonsolin. What has really been big for him being able to go deeper in these games is that he's been able to limit the walks. Last season, he wound up having a 4 1 record on 323 ERA. but Problem was, he was giving up 5.5 walks per nine innings. He has cut that in half to a 2.8. Thus, he's been able to lend more length. He's giving up four and a half hits per nine innings. I am not kidding when I say this. The opponent's are earning a buck 47 off of him. Now, I do think that that's going to be going up a little bit, but the issue that you wind up having with taking a plus price here on the Cincinnati Reds as well, Tyler Molly and his home and road splits each out of the last two seasons he has been significantly better on the road than he has been at home because he just winds up having a pitching style that lends to him giving up a lot of hard contact at home. Dating back to the beginning of last season, he's giving up right around 1.8 to 1.9 home runs per nine innings at home. That is a big, giant issue for him. He is able to get lots of swings and misses. 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings each out of the last two seasons, but he's rocking a 4.46 ERA because he does wind up giving up the deep ball, and command is not necessarily there for him as well. 3.6 walks. For nine innings, just a completely different pitcher, home to road. So that's an issue. And you know what else is an issue for the Cincinnati Reds out of thirty teams in the major leagues? Guess where they rank in terms of bullpen ERA? That's right, number thirty. As they are the only team with north of a five ERA Other of the big leagues. As a matter of fact, nobody else has worse than a four seventy eight ERA. Alexis Diaz, who wanted getting off to a good start this year, he has really regressed. You have no faith whatsoever in Art Warren. Hunter Strickland does not belong in a major league roster right now. So yeah, you your issues. is for the LA Dodgers. Craig Gimbrell's been an issue for the team. He's got north of a four ERA. Bruce or Gradraw has not been great. The guys that have really stepped up for the Dodgers are more of these unheralded guys like Alex Vesilla, Yancy Almonte. Last year, Phil Bickford was solid. He just came off the injured list for the team. And with the Dodgers, they've been dealing with some ailments. You've got Mookie Betts who's currently on the injured list. That's a blow because he was hitting 275 with 17 home runs. And prior to him getting hurt, I really felt like he needed to be in the conversation for National League MVP. We shall see what winds up happening when he winds up coming back, but that's an issue, especially with Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, both hitting below a 215. And for the Reds, prior to their series against the Milwaukee Brewers, in their last 25 games, they'd scored four-plus runs at home in 23 of them. Now, in that series against the Brewers, they did wind up failing to get to four runs in two out of those three games. And the Brewers just wind up having the Cincinnati Reds number. It has not been pretty for them thus far this season, but I do think that the Reds are going to be able to generate a few runs. I do think that a little bit of negative regression is going to be coming in for Tony and There's no way they can keep it up for an entire season where our opponents are going just a just forty-seven off of them, but I've been highly impressed by them, and with the Dodgers being on the road, it makes it a little bit easier to cover the run line because you do wind up having those road at-bats. Up to about a minus 125 is what I'd be willing to lay on run line with the Dodgers who were able to find some minus 120s a little bit earlier as well. And when it comes to the total, you mind not mind saying it at a 9.6, I think that there is a chance that the Reds are going to be able to get to four runs in this game. But with the way that Tyler Molly is pitching and being backed up by a bullpen that is dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen area. That's a little bit of an issue, and on top of that, Brandon Drury been able to do a good job putting up some runs for the Cincinnati Reds, and then Freddie Freeman, I think, is going to be able to pick it up a little bit with regards to power for the L.A. Dodgers. So we've got a lot that is on the board for Tuesday, and we've got you covered with a little bit of everything over here at VEASAN. A little bit of a transition into a little bit more baseball, but we've got you there, and coming up next, you're going to be getting some follow the money right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network.